Amen. 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 Grab your Bibles, remain standing, turn with me to Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2, we're going to continue preaching through the book of Acts that we've been doing since Easter. Uh, Jesus has gone up, Jesus is resurrected, now what? Now what? What are we doing here in the early church? There's so much we can learn in the book of Acts, so much we can learn about the early church, and we can, we can kind of see where we've drifted, drifted away from what it is supposed to have been. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the very first sermon, the very first sermon of the very first church service in the New Testament era. The very first church service, the very first sermon given by the Apostle Peter in the very first church service. And you say, well, was it a good sermon? Well, thousands of people got saved. I guess it was. Amen? So, so we're going we're gonna to look at that today. How many of y'all are glad to be saved this morning? Uh, it, doesn't, it, doesn't it feel like this is, an, this is an oasis from the world of insanity that we live in? Our world has gone completely insane, completely insane. And uh, you, you better learn to enjoy these times because it's just going to get worse out there. And, and, and I, I've, I've had good Christian people running around and, and wigging out and, and, and freaking out and saying, I, I, I don't know, I, I can't believe what's happening. Well, then you didn't read your Bible. And you wasn't in church about three months ago. Because we said this was going to happen. Perilous times shall come. Now sometimes we preach this stuff and we, we don't really believe it's going to really happen. Yes, it's really going to happen. The whole world is going to come against Israel. Everybody's going to be anti-Israel, anti-Christ. Even the United States. And all you got to do is look on your Facebook and you'll see... Uh, uh, anti-Semitic rhetoric and, and things going on. It, it, this is supposed to happen. This is supposed to happen. Uh, it's like when you go and have surgery and you feel pains and you're like, oh! and you go to your surgeon, he said, hey, it's normal, that is supposed to happen. And it makes you feel better. I hope this makes you feel better. It's going to happen. And it's going to get worse. But that's okay. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. And he says, don't worry about all these things that are coming to pass. He said, lift up your head because your redemption draweth nigh. That means we're just closer to getting on out of here. Amen? So be, don't, 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 be, don't be wigged out over all this stuff. Let's just be, be strong Christians, be faithful Christians, and do what God has called us to do. Amen? All right, here's what we have. Here's what we have. We've been studying through Acts. Uh, so far, we have uh, the church has been established. The church is born here in Acts chapter number 2. The Holy Spirit comes down and indwells the, the 120 believers. Uh, in that filling of the Holy Spirit, He began to speak through them. The Holy Spirit began to speak through them and spoke in languages of all the people that had come in from all over the Mediterranean. And now here they are, this 120 are out in public speaking the wonderful works of God, but they are being heard in all of the languages those that are around them. Now, I don't know if you understand this, but if we all left this building and went out into the public and started speaking Russian and Chinese and Japanese and Korean and all kind of other languages, that would cause a stir. Y'all with me? 
People would want to come and find out what in the world is going on about that. Well, that's what happened here. Thousands of people, thousands of people gathered around to find out what in the world is going on. Well, some of them tried to say, well, they're just, they're just a bunch of drunks. Well, Peter is refuting that. He said, number one, uh, it's way too early in the day to be, uh, you all with me? Now, that, that's, that's totally, totally bunk. That is not, that is not the case. But he begins to preach his sermon, he lifts up his voice, and he begins to tell them what's going on. So here we are in Acts chapter 2 in verse number 14. <clears throat> are you there? Say amen. amen. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it, came, it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. Remember we learned several weeks ago that in the Old Testament the Spirit only came on certain people. The Spirit would come on prophets, and the Spirit would come on kings, and, and, and special ordained people that God had special purposes and plans for. But God said in the last days, it's going to come on everybody. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad it doesn't matter who you are? It doesn't matter what your heritage is. It doesn't matter what your background It doesn't matter if you have royal blood in your veins or not. It doesn't matter your, your financial aspect. The Holy Spirit will come on you just like anybody else. And he said this is what he's talking about. And then it says, And I will show wonders in heavens above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and coming uh, notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now let me, let me help you with something right here. This is a, this is a prophetic utterance of the last days. And there, there's been people say, Well, Peter was wrong because this, this was not the last days because that stuff hasn't happened yet. You've got to understand something. The last days began when Jesus came. You know, we, we pre preachers said, we are now in the last days. No, we were in the last days when Jesus came to this earth. That began the last days. So Peter was not wrong when he stated this. He is saying this is the first part of it. Now, the last part of it has not taken place yet, but it will. All right, verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands, wicked hands, you with me? Wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. For David speaketh concerning him. And now he's fixing to quote David. He's fixing to quote the Psalms. And I'm going I'm to, just to save time, I, we'll read this here in a minute. But he, he begins to read what David said about the resurrection and proves that Jesus is who David was talking about. The Bible says in verse 36, are you there? Verse 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Amen. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, say it with me. 
Say it again. Father, thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. I pray that your perfect will be done. Please, please guide my mind, my mouth. Lord, let me say everything that you'd have me to say. Don't let me miss anything and don't let me add anything. And I pray your perfect will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Church, church is a, it's a weird thing. Uh, there's so many different church buildings in America and across the world. There's so many different names. There's so many different types. Uh, there's, there's so many different styles of, of service. There's so many different styles of worship. And, and I'm not going to stand here and say, you know, that there's only one right style and there's only, you know, there's... That, that, that argument, I'm not even going to get into that, that because uh, I like all kind of stuff. I like old time. I like, I like contemporary. I like bluegrass. I like, I like everything but opera. You can have that. Uh, but there, there's, there's all kinds of different stuff. There's all kinds of different preachers. Would you agree with that? I grew up my whole life. My whole life I grew up in church, and I've heard all kinds. I mean, I've heard them when they were foaming in the mouth during the introduction. And by the time they got through the conclusion, they was half-dressed. Say amen. I mean, wide open. Looked like they were fighting bees through the whole ser- sermon. I mean, going after it wide open. And then I've, I've seen people, I've seen men of God stand behind the pulpit, never move from the pulpit, never get above a monotone voice, and give a better sermon than the bee fighter. Now, I would rather it be good content and fighting bees. Hey, man, I... I'm sorry. Anyway, I like a man to look like he believes what he's saying. Are y'all with me? And, but there's all kinds of different stuff. And, and, and I don't want to go and say, uh, you know, this one's right and that one's wrong and this one. But, but there is a right and there is a wrong. In this sermon, there's so much that we can learn about in this sermon about the way things should be. About what a sermon should be. About what, let me change that word. What a message should be. I looked up the word sermon in Webster's Dictionary and it said a boring speech. All right, so no sermon. <clears throat> a message. What should a message be like? What should a message be like? And you say, why are you saying this? Because our country is an insane asylum. And it is that way on purpose because it hasn't always been that way. This country was a godly nation. This country was a God-fearing nation. This country has been blessed by God beyond measure above any country in the whole world because of their godliness and because of their holiness and their following Him. But things have changed. And things have changed in our government because things have changed in our churches. Now, what should it be? What should it be? What should a message be? Number one, I want you to write this down. Number one, the content. The content of the sermon, or message. Uh, we can change that later, all right? Uh, the content. First, I want you to write this down. It was their Savior. He says, let me tell you, look what Peter does. Here he has this gathered crowd, and he takes advantage of the opportunity of this large crowd to be able to preach to them Jesus. He preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, you go through the chapter and read it. It is is very explicit. It's very specific. He preaches them Jesus Christ, the death, 
the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here is my point. The sermon in the church, the message in the church, should be Christ Jesus-centered. The gospel of Jesus Christ. But let me tell you what has happened in America. The, the pulpit has become a psychological massage parlor. We have people coming to church, and we want our, our feelings massaged. We want our feelings to be touched and, and tingled. And we want to feel good about ourselves. And we want to feel good about our life. We want to feel good about our, our situation. And don't tell me anything that's going to make me feel guilty. Don't tell me anything that's going to make me feel sinful. Don't make me feel anything that's going to make me feel shameful. Just tell me what I want to hear. But Paul said that day was coming. Preach, be instant in season, out of season. Preach the word, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come where people will heap upon themselves teachers having itching ears. And they will say, just tell me what I want to hear. Don't tell me what I need to hear. Don't tell me my life is wrong. Just tell me what I want to hear. But it should not be that way. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Psychology is not going to sober up a drunk. Psychology is not going to put a home back together. Psychology is not going to do all of these things. But I tell you this, there is a Savior in heaven who can come into any family and any situation and any life and change it for the good. It wasn't a psychiatrist that healed my father. It wasn't a psychiatrist that came in and changed my daddy to make him from a drunkard to a preacher who changed my mama. Listen, I'm telling you, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not against everybody. Oh, you just hate psychiatrists. No, I, I may need one there one day. <clears throat> I'm not against that. But I am against trying to use man's way to fix a spiritual problem. Jesus Christ. The pulpits have stopped preaching Jesus Christ. It is Jesus. He's the only way. He is the true way. He is the right way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. They preach Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, 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 now put your seatbelts on. No, no, really. Watch what he does. Peter is standing in front of possibly five to 10,000 people. We know, we know, listen, from the ones that got saved, just the ones that believe, so we know there's more than that. Thousands. He's standing in front of thousands, and this is what he says. This is what he says. You, with wicked hands, have killed Jesus. Wow. What, did he, what, was in the, what was the content of the sermon? It was the Savior. But it was also their sin. Their sin. Now I'm telling you, I watched some, I watched some preaching this week on, on YouTube. And Peter would have never made it in the most popular churches in America. Don't preach on sin. Listen, I, I, I looked up the words. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. Paul is telling Timothy, when you open that Bible, this is what I want you to do. I want you to reprove, 
Reprove means to correct an error. For those who are in error, correct them. You know, they're believing this or they're doing this and teach them what right is. Do you know we can go to the Bible and we can correct error? Come on, don't get quiet now. It's going to get worse, so y'all might as well get with me. Correct error. There are errors that need to be correcting. There are false beliefs that need to be correcting. In the last three weeks, I made all kinds of people mad. I've made Pentecostals mad, church, listen, Church of God people mad. Next week, we're going to make the Church of Christ mad. What are you doing? Correcting an error. Reprove. Reprove. Then he says, rebuke. What does that mean? Scold those who are sinning. Now, here's what's happened. Here's what's happened today. We've dumbed down everything and made everything nice and palatable. There was a day when you would stand up and call a drunkard a drunkard. Now we call it a disease. It's a disease. But it's the only disease you can go by. We don't, hold on, ho, 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 ho. Listen, it, it, it's, it's an inappropriate relationship. Well, God said it's adultery. Well, we're living together. No, you're committing fornication. Do you see the difference in the words? If we use Bible words, they're pretty abrasive. If you use the right Bible. Listen, we cannot do this. Why do you think, and everybody's, some of y'all are getting your hackles all up now, hair standing up on your neck. Why do you think we have a president who can stand in the Oval Office and make a command that everybody use everybody else's bathroom? You mean tell you how that happened? It didn't just happen. This is years in the making, years in the work. It happened because Hollywood began to put that, that stuff on TV. And we laughed at it. We let our kids watch it. It's a sitcom. It wasn't disgusting anymore. It wasn't sinful anymore. It wasn't wicked anymore. And we just let it come into our homes. And now our kids don't know what to think about it because we allowed them to watch it, and now we think it's normal. And I, I'm, not, I'm not getting on to you. I'm getting on to our pastors. Let me, let me give you a verse. Romans seven twelve. Wherefore... The law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Now watch this. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, watch now, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, watch this, that sin by the commandment, the Scripture that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. What does that mean? We are to take the Word of God and preach the Word of God exactly the way the Word of God says so that when people see their sins, they don't look at it as like it's a little mistake. No, it's exceedingly sinful. It's exceedingly wicked. It's exceedingly awful we've got to learn to see our sin the way god sees our sin because if we don't we will accept it we will live in it and we will be consumed by it the bible is still true the wages of sin is death 
death. Listen, sin, we, we, it's going it, if to, we, if we allow it, and see, that's what I'm saying about these sitcoms. We just allowed it. And we laughed at it. There was a day in America that our ancestors would have turned their nose up at it and said, that is disgusting. I cannot even believe they have that on TV. But we just allowed a little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. We have preachers standing up and refuse to preach on sin. We want to preach on grace and we want to preach on mercy. And that's all fine and good. We need to preach on those things. But we need to preach on sin too. Because if we don't name it, if we don't preach on it, it will not be exceedingly sinful and our people will accept it instead of repenting from it. The sermon was on sin. Sin is a reproach on any people. Any people. I know this is not popular. I don't want to have to do this. But I'm telling you, if somebody don't stand up and do it, I, I don't know. I don't know that our country will turn around. And see, there's people that's mad at me right now, but you're mad at the president, and you have no idea. It's because of people like me who hadn't been doing this. That's why he can do what he did. So if you're mad at me, you're mad at the wrong one. I'm the mailman. I didn't write the letter. I mean, what, what's it going to take? Christians in here, what's it going to take? I mean, what is it going to take for us to get sick and tired and mad and angry and frustrated that we're going to do something? I seen, a, I seen a cartoon back in the day where it had little Johnny was in trouble with his grades and the teacher and the parents were looking down at little Johnny and little Johnny looked scared. But then in, in today, today it has the parents looking down at the teacher and little Johnny with a little smug look on his face and the teacher's scared to death. Our world's messed up. Let's apply that to the church. We won't look at our sin like it's awful. We'll get mad at the preacher for telling us the truth. And we wonder why our country's the way it is. Number two, we need to hurry. <clears throat> the characteristics of the sermon. Here, here's, here's something that really, really this should be preached in, in Bible colleges. There's really three things he did. He read the scriptures, he explained the scriptures, and he applied the scriptures. You know what we have today? We have people getting up, with books and preaching out of books not the bible and i have seen several this preaching now in the book i wrote on page number i'm like what no it's the scriptures the scriptures the word of god is quick that means alive it's quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Are y'all with me? I, what did Paul say? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. There's no power in, in men's theories. There's no power in men's opinions. There's no, there's no power in none of that. 
But when you can say, thus saith the Lord. When you can quote God's word. Now watch, watch this. And listen, in verses 16 through 21, and verses 25 through 28, he is quoting. He is quoting the scripture. He's quoting Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32. Then he quotes Psalm 16, 8 through 11. And then he explains what they mean. So all he did was take the scripture and read the scripture and explain the scripture. And then he applied the scripture to their life. You know what would change the, drastically the landscape of our country and the landscape of our churches? If, if all of our preachers would put down all the psychological books and get their Bible and open it up and read their Bible and explain the Bible and apply the Bible, it will change America. Let me tell you what Ezra did in Nehemiah chapter 8. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book. Boy, don't we need to stand up all over America and tell preachers, bring the book. Bring the book, the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read, say that with me, and he and he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from morning until midday. Don't you ever say I'm long-winded again. From, from morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears, now watch this, boy, this would change, and the ears of all the people were attentive. Attentive unto the book of the law. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. That means he was on a platform, a wooden standing platform. And when he opened it, look at the reverence the people had for God's word. All the people stood up. Imagine that, standing from morning till midday to listen to the man of God read the word of God. Watch what he did. It says, And Ezra blessed the Lord. The great God and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. With lifting up of their hands, they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Then his assistants, they are listed in verse number 7, they caused the people to understand the law. And then it says in verse 8, So they read the book and the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. So what do we need in the churches in America? We need to get back to the Word. We need to read the Word, explain the Word, and apply the Word. Very, very uncomplicated. The Word is what's going to change our lives. The Word is what's going to put us back together. The Word is the only thing that will be able to change America. Now, you say, well, so far what we've heard is what you should be telling preachers. <clears throat> Well, this last point will, will fit all of us. This last point will fit all of us. Uh, I am very concerned. I am very concerned for our pastors in America. I really am. Because most of the people they're looking up to have left this format. I turned on the most popular preacher in America today. Right before he started... <clears throat> He held up his Bible, and he said, repeat this with me. This is my Bible. Everybody said it. 
It is. No, no, they said it. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. And it said a list of other things. Then it says, we are going to be taught the word of God today. Amen. Everybody, amen. And he sat down. He said, and he never opened it and never read it. And so, Now, let me say this. It's a pretty good speech he gave. I mean, it was pretty good stuff. It really was. I mean, it, it, it was, it was, and I, I enjoyed it. But guess what? It's not a message. I could stand here and I could be an encouragement to y'all. I could tell you some stuff to be a blessing and encourage you and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's wonderful. But that's not going to change your life. It's going to tell you what you want to hear. It's going to massage your feelings. It's going to make you feel better about yourself. You say, well, what's wrong with that? This is what's wrong with that. The Bible says, look in Acts chapter 2. Look in Acts chapter number 2. Verse 37. Verse 37. You there? Now, when they heard this, what did they hear? The gospel. What did they hear? Their sin. You killed Jesus. Not only did you kill him, you did it with wicked hands. Well, the modern day preachers just not even going to put them two together. Are y'all with me? He called them wicked. He called them murderers. I mean, he was very abrasive. He was very specific about their sin. Now watch. Now watch. I want you to look, number three, the conclusion of the sermon. The conclusion of the sermon. Now when they heard this, they were, come on everybody, they were in their heart. What does that mean? The first thing that happened was conviction. They were pricked in their heart. What does that mean? They experienced pain. They experienced pain. It hurt. How many of you? How many of you have went? How many of you have went and heard a sermon, and it applied to your life, and it hurt? Come on, raise your hand. It hurt. The word means to excite a sense of guilt. When he says reprove and rebuke. It meant to incite a sense of guilt. Now what? You, you mean to tell me you want people to feel guilty? Yes. You want people to feel pain? Yes. I, I, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I, I grew up before Time Out and Riddling. <clears throat> and uh, there, was, there, was, there, was one, there was one answer to our issues. It was a belt. And it worked. You would be amazed how well it worked. Now, I had, I had a relative that got angry because she didn't believe in spanking. She didn't believe in spanking. 
and she says, you're, you're telling this child not to hit this child, then you're going to hit this child for hitting that child. That is so confusing. I said, no, you, you've totally missed it. You've totally missed it. I'm not, I'm not hitting that child because that child hit that child. I'm correcting this child because they disobeyed. And the consequences for disobedience is correction. Now, why do we want to do that, especially at a young age? If you do it right at a young age, you won't have to do it at an old age. Now, here's what we want to do. We want to associate pain with disobedience. When you disobey, it causes pain in your life. And we want the child to put that together, that if I do wrong, it will hurt me. It will cause pain in my life. If I do right, it will cause blessings in my life. Does this make sense? And see, what happens is, is when we take the Word of God, it is a sword, it is a scalpel, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, and when you preach it, and you preach it right, and you preach on sin, and you deal with issues in people's lives, it's going to hurt. But that hurt's only temporary. Now watch. It says they were pricked in their heart. What, what happens when preaching is done right? There will be conviction. And conviction hurts. And I'm telling you all this now because if you feel... In, there, there's, two, there's two responses to Bible preaching. And it depends on the condition of your heart. And these two responses are found in the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 2 and later on with Stephen. The Bible says when Peter preached, they were pricked in their heart. In their heart. See, that's a heart issue. Pricked means they were poked. They were poked. It was still painful. It was conviction. But in, in Stephen's case, the Bible says they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. Now, here's the two responses we have to true Bible preaching. One is sad, and the other is mad. If you are sad because of Bible preaching, it leads to repentance. If you are mad at Bible preaching, it leads to rebellion. Let me prove it. In the second, second letter to the Corinthian church, Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthian church. And he's talking about the first letter. Because in the first letter, he chewed them out. I'm talking about big time. I mean, he let them hold it in that first letter. And it broke their hearts. It, they were sorrowful of it. They, 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 it broke their hearts, and they did something about the sin that they were allowing in the church. Now, watch what he says. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, he says, For though I made you sorry with a letter, he says, I do not repent. Though I did repent, he said, you know, it, it hurts me that it hurt you. No pastor, now listen, if a pastor likes to get up and, and, and preach things that hurts people's feelings, he's a freak. And he don't need to be pastoring. I don't, I'm, I'm dying inside right now for having to even do any of this stuff. I hate it. I don't like preaching this stuff. And I don't like dealing with this. And if somebody does, they got a serious problem. And what Paul is saying here, he says, I'm not sorry that I sent this letter even though I was. He said, I don't like it when you're hurt. I don't like it when you're struggling. I don't like it when you go through this. But watch what he says. For I perceive that the same epistle had made you sorry though it were but a season. Now I rejoice, 
not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. Watch this. For godly sorrow worketh to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world, that's getting angry, worketh what? Death. For behold, watch this right here. You see, they had a godly sorrow. They were sad because of their misbehavior. They were sad because of their sin. They were sad because the word that was given unto them, it convicted them, it broke their heart. Now watch what it created in them. Watch what their sorrow, their conviction created in them. It says, ye were sorry after a godly sorrow. What carefulness it wrought in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. Yea, what fear. Watch this. What vehement desire. What does that mean? They had a strong desire to fix what was wrong. They had a strong desire to do something about the sin that they were allowing in the church. Why? Because Paul told straight. And Paul talked straight to him. He did not beat around the bush. He did not sugarcoat anything. He said it is what it is. Sin is sin. And it's wrong and you need to get it right. And because of that, it broke their heart. Because of that, it created conviction in their heart. And it broke them down. And they had godly sorrow. But that sorrow led to repentance. And that repentance gave them a desire to do something about the situation. So what happens here in Acts chapter number 2? The Bible says they were pricked in their heart. That's conviction. Now watch. Now watch. And then they say, men and brethren. What's the next phrase? Come on, everybody. What Say it again. Look what Bible preaching did. It hurt. It caused conviction. But that conviction caused a desire in them to want to do right. Because godly sorrow worketh repentance. Worldly sorrow, that's anger. What does that do? It leads to death. Because rebellion always brings destruction. You got two responses today. You can either get sad if what you're going through has been dealt with, or you can get mad. And if you get sad, if there is a godly sorrow, then it will lead to repentance. It will lead to a change. But if you get mad, it's only going to lead to rebellion. The same thing happens in your lives when you're raising kids. All you young parents in here, you better get this. Because there's going to come a day. Listen, your child, your child needs to understand the difference between repentance and rebellion. And sad and mad. Because it makes a difference in the outcome. They said, men and brethren... What must we do? What do we need to do about it? Guess what? They'd have never asked that question if he'd have got up and said, you're going to have a great day today. You're such a great people. It's so wonderful that you're here today. That would have never happened. But when he spoke straight, and he told the truth, and he named their sin... It broke their heart. You see, this is what's missing in the American church today. That's why people can be shacking up, living together, committing fornication, and showing up every Sunday and singing Amazing Grace and having no problems with it. You know why? There's no conviction. 
But watch this. Without conviction, there's no repentance. Watch what he says. Men and brethren, what must we do? Verse number 38. Then Peter said unto them, what's the next word? Everybody say it. Say it again. You know what needs to happen? A good old-fashioned Bible preacher needs to go stand up in front of the White House and holler out, A good old-fashioned Baptist preacher needs to stand up in Hollywood and tell everybody there to... Every preacher in America should stand in front of their own congregation and say... We should all repent. We can't get mad and blame the Democrats. We can't get mad and blame Obama. We We can't get mad and blame the school system. No, we need to go look in the mirror. We're all guilty. We have, we have lain low, we have kept quiet, we've allowed this to take place. We all need to repent. What's the word repent mean? It means to change. Say that with me. Say it again. Now, I said all of that, I said all of that to say this. The purpose of you coming into this building now, everybody get me now. I don't even care if you're mad at me. I know you're mad at me and you may never come back, but let me get you while you're here. Everybody look at me in the, in the balcony everywhere. Everywhere in the balcony. Please get this. The purpose of you coming into this building is not to get your spiritual fix for the week. It's not so you could get, get pumped up and a little religious entertainment. And to get, 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 you know, get your ego stroked a little bit and get your feelings to feel pretty good, that's not the purpose of you coming here. The purpose of you coming here, according to my Bible, the church, what we see right here is for the edification of the saints. The word edification means built up. It means strengthened. It means changed. The purpose of God saving you was not so you could go to heaven. Are y'all with me? The purpose of God saving you was not for the purpose of you going to heaven. It was for you to become like His Son. Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, them who are called according to His what is his purpose? Verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now watch. Ephesians. I'm going to read Ephesians 4 if you want to hurry up and turn there. I, I, I'm going to just read this. Trust me, it's here. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.11, and he gave, he's talking about the church. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints. The word perfecting there means maturing. It means developing. It means growth. Say that word with me. It means growth. For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Watch this. Till. There's a destination. There is is a goal in mind. There is an end in mind. Watch this. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, a complete man. What is that complete man? Under the measure and of the stature and of the fullness of 
Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they do lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love. That's all I've done today. I haven't said what I said because I hate you or I'm mad at you. I said it because I love you. Listen, speak the truth in love. Why? That we may... Oh, yeah. Say it with me. Say it again. Grow up into who? Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Even Christ. So what is the purpose of preaching? It's to help you grow up. How many of y'all, when you, were, when you were younger and you were more immature, the teachers asked you to do things you didn't appreciate? All right, teachers, y'all like, you know, this is the end of the year. I need a help from y'all, all right? Help me now. And them little people bow up and get mad and get in. I don't know why I've got to go to school. I know how to put my Lego together. That's all I need to know in life. I don't need to know how to count. I'm going to have a bunch of money. We get angry. But the teachers keep doing it because they love their students. You got to speak the truth in love. Because if we don't, we'll never grow up. We will never become like Jesus Christ. The whole purpose of the sermon, the whole purpose of the message is life change. Say that with me. Is. Say it again. Everybody say it. Up in the balcony, help me. Say it again. Say it, say it with feeling. Now here's the point. If your life is not changing, one of us is not doing our job. If your life is the same, if you're still living in the sins you've been living in your whole life, if you are not becoming more like Jesus Christ, one of us are not doing our job. Let me make this commitment to you if you'll make a commitment to me. Are y'all down with commitments? All right. I want you to turn one more. I got plenty of time. I can't believe I got all the time, but I got tons of time. I want you to turn with me. I want you to turn with me. Where do I want you to turn? 17. Acts 17. Acts 17. I hope. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay. Y'all with me? Acts 17, 11. Now here, here's, here's a commitment I want you to make to me, and I'll, I'll make a commitment to you. Every single time I come up into this pulpit, I'm going to bring my Bible. And I'm going to do everything I can to read it, explain it, and apply it. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse, apply it to our lives for the purpose of of life change. 
And I make that commitment to you. Standing right here before God and the world and the country and you, I'll make that commitment to you. But I need you to make a commitment to me. Let's read it. Verse 11. These were more noble, help me, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were now here's the thing if I come and I read it and I explain it and I apply it then you must make the commitment to receive it and if you don't like it you go search it to see if it's so Don't, don't come at me in the week and say, well, I didn't like what you said. Well, I don't feel that that was right. Okay, where's your verse? Get your Bible and let's sit down. Because I guarantee you this, if you'll be as committed as I am, and I'll be as committed to you as you will be to me, this church will explode. Your life will drastically change for the better. Because God is not going to bless sin. And if we'll get the sin out, the blessings will come. And all God's people say it. It's up to you. You have two choices. You can get sad or you can get mad. Now, I choose for you to get sad because godly sorrow worketh repentance. And repentance works life. But mad equals rebellion. And rebellion equals death. Listen, let's trust the Word. You mean, tell me you don't think you can make mistakes? Oh, no, I, I can make mistakes. It's, it's a... Uh, Brother Milligan, you preached for several years. You ever made a mistake in the pulpit? Yes. Brother Sam, how about it? Mistakes? I'll ask her, all right, if you ain't going to answer me. <laughs> Say, what do you do about that? Get your scripture. But don't come with your opinion or your feelings. Amen? Let's stick to the word. It's not going to be popular. You're going to run people off. There's already people that left. But guess what? How many doctors will you go to if you've got cancer and you're going to keep going to them and they say, you're fine. Everything's great. Man, it's great to see you. Hope you have a great week. So that's silly. That's no more silly than coming to a church and expecting them just to tell you what you want to hear. Because I'm telling you, if there's ever been a day that we need pastors to stand up and tell the truth, it's today. Can we give God praise and glory? Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Father, thank you, Lord, for your blessings and your mercy, your goodness. God, I, I, I want to do everything I can to preach the word. 
I want to do everything I can to teach the Word. Lord, there are so many, there are so many people that, that, that want to live in sin, and they want the 